Welcome to the second half of the 100th episode of the Second Chapter Podcast, also known as episode 101. I'm back with the seven guests I spoke with last week, some of your listener favorites from the first 99 episodes of the Second Chapter. As a reminder, I'm speaking with Louise Pittman, Taiwa Deo Payne, Melissa Davey, Jennifer Otherton, Hannah Mary McKinnon, Martina Clark, and Jane Porter. This week, they get to ask each other a couple of questions, and we talk about a few of the things we're all trying to do to make the world just a little bit better. So welcome to all of you. And again, thank you for joining me. I know that some of you had questions for each other, which I would love to open the floor to any questions anybody would like to ask of someone else who's here. I'll ask a question. I was going to say, Melissa, I know you had one. writers, because one of your questions was, what are you going to do next? And so now I'm at this point, do I do another film after the second one? Or do I tease one of these other ideas that I have? And one is writing a book. So to the book writers here, I'm real curious about whether or not you feel that you took whatever it was that you were doing in your previous life, that you found skills, useful skills or stories or whatever that parlayed into your writing. Was there something that caused you to start writing at this point in your life? And was it related to your past or was it completely off the cuff? And I'm going to try this because it's something new. I'll gladly answer that one. I So I wrote a memoir, and it was about my personal life and also my professional life. Personal life of living with HIV for more than 30 years, and then professional life, I ended up working at the UN, and we changed the system a little bit. And for me, I like I had to write this book because it was burning a hole in my soul. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't get it out. Nobody's ever going to know this story. And I own this little tiny piece of the response to the pandemic. And I'm working now, I mentor other long-term survivors with HIV who are also working on memoirs, whether it's going to be long form or not. But the main thing that we end up with at the end of every session is that we're writing these because we are the only ones who can tell these stories. And Partly because we want people now, like our immediate family, to be able to piece together all of the parts of what we've gone through, but also for a hundred years from now, somebody's going to look back and see, oh, wow, there's this whole history that we only know pieces of, but here are some very personal stories that bring in dynamics that we'd never anticipate. And even in our little group, there's six of us, our stories are so completely different, even though many things are the same. But every single time someone shares, I'm like, wow, I never even imagined that thing happened to somebody else because it's so different than the path that I walked, but it's so interesting. So I think for me, that's why I felt I needed to tell the story. I needed to write a book. I needed to get it out there. And it has not made me. I maybe made $400 from my book sales is not making me rich, but at least I know that it's out there. And at some point, somebody's going to read it and it maybe will help them. And that will keep me writing more things in the future because I know that I've had all of these really unusual experiences. And every time I read something from somebody who has had an unusual experience, I'm like, it hits me and it makes me feel less weird that I've had these strange things. (laughs) 
true. So I think for me, that's why I write. I have not written fiction because I tried it and I'm really not very good at it. So I'm just going to stay on fiction because that's what I'm better at. But for me, I think that especially at this point in life, we're not establishing necessarily a 50, 70 year career as a writer that's going to go on forever and ever. We're writing, we have the luxury of writing because we want to and because we think the stories are important. And I think that writing, whether it's fiction or nonfiction, it's such an extraordinary way to share our experiences and information for future generations in a different way than they're going to consume it otherwise. Yeah. That's Hi, well, what brought yeah, you back to yeah. it? I know that you've been writing recently, feeling you said it helped you get back in touch with your coaching and everything as well. But what kind of sparked it? So I, I've been writing all my life. As a child, I wrote, I wrote poems and they became, and then as a teenager, I thought I was going to become Nigeria's answer to Andrew Lloyd Webber. And so I started writing a musical about, I think he'd done Jesus Christ Superstar and Joseph a bit. So I was writing a musical about David and Bathsheba and, and then that kind of became into, evolved into songwriting in my twenties. And then, and then I stopped for a while. And then I think it was in my four years, I decided that I was going to try fiction because I wanted to write a play. When I was acting, that there was a sense in those days of actors stayed in their lanes. So the actors acted and the writers would write the plays. And you just, I mean, you, you can help devise and create the characters, but you stay in your lane. You st- and so it just never occurred to me that to, to write a play. And then uh, years on, I remember saying to someone, oh, I'd really like to write this play. And they were like, don't write it as a play, write it as a novel first. Because once it's a novel, you can do all sorts of things with it. And so I just went into a novel writing course and ended up doing an MA in fiction. And wrote this novel and, and wrote a number of short stories. And I had this particular short story, which is a reimagining of Macbeth, but told from the perspective of one of the witches who gets in trouble because she basically curses Macbeth and Lady Macbeth to madness. And she didn't get permission from her community. And so I'd written this short story and over the years, just sat at the back of my mind. I thought, oh, actually, this could make a good play. But I left it because I was focusing on other things. And like I said, towards the end of last year, coming into this year, I just felt really wrung out by, by trying to build a business. But I think also, actually, when I think back on it, there was a kind of fallout from the whole COVID pandemic period. The thing, we don't really think about the emotional impacts I didn't know anyone who died from COVID and I lived in this little cocoon where I quite enjoyed being, not having to go out and all of that kind of stuff, but it still had an impact on me. It still had an impact on me. And I think that coming out, because I knew a lot of people that died from other things over that period as well. Some friends passed away, but you just, you just expected to get on with it. And, and so I think that I just felt a little bit strung out and I was feeling like I wasn't being creative, literally just wasn't being creative. And I'd been going to this writing class at Morley College up until about five or six years ago and found out that the guy who ran it had come onto Zoom during lockdown, but then retired and kept 
the class going for the older, more established people. And it was okay for me to join. It's not a class, it's like a little workshop. So I decided to just go in and sit in at the beginning of the year. But that really got me back into wanting to write. And it's having, how can I put it? It was, it was like I had shut apart me, me down and not realized that was a bit that was starving. So I write, I've always written something. And even in jobs, I've written strategies, policies and things like that. So writing for me is almost like breathing and it's just evolving into a different kind of writing, but also recognizing that it is like breathing for me. And if I shut part, creative part of me down, then I start to die little by little. Anna, do you have anything else you want to add as such a prolific and varied novel writer? Oh, thank you. I would say definitely what helped me from my corporate life, a number of things, just my general business acumen and understanding how a business runs. This would be applicable, I guess, if you go down the traditionally published route agent who then goes out and finds a publishing house who then acquires your novel. So just, I came from IT recruitment, so I understood the publisher, agent, author relationship because it's very similar to company, candidate company and recruitment agency. So it's a similar setup. So I got my head around that within no time. But just my general organizational skills and meeting deadlines or preferably beating them. I mentioned I'm a workaholic, so that ties into that. That was really helpful, being able to juggle multiple projects at different stages at the same time. And building relationships and networking, that was really fundamental as well. Going to conferences, I've been to a number of thriller author conferences, and that was probably the biggest, most wonderful surprise is this supportive community particularly female authors, male too, but there's a huge community of female crime writers who are so supportive of one another and who are just incredibly generous with their time and their support and little quotes on books from other authors that you have to go out and blurbs, you have to go out and ask for them. And it's just, oh, it feels a bit icky the first time anyway, but they're so supportive and and being able to pay that forward, I think is really vital too, the, the support that you get. You turn around and you pay that forward. If there's an up and coming author, you reach and pull them up and help them. So that has been really wonderful, a wonderful discovery and definitely helpful to have that collaborative mindset, which I'm sure you have from making films anyway. It's a whole, it's, it takes a village type thing. And it's very similar in the writing world and being open to feedback and criticism and also letting certain reviews just roll off your back because we make stuff and not everybody can like what we make, whatever it is that we make, whether it's a cake or a book or a movie or whatever it is. So that has been, there's definitely a lot of my past business acumen that I've been able to pull forward and apply to this second career. Definitely. Yeah. Jane, you've been very quiet down there. I feel like I want to pick on you. I don't know if you have a question for anybody or if you you just want to throw something in so I can hear your voice. <laughs> I'm just taken by everyone's stories, really. And what I really like is that what so many people have moved into doing as a second career are very specific things and quite sort of new types of work that maybe address things that people are interested in now that maybe wouldn't have been so available to do a while ago with the woo-woo things and just types of work that 
sound like people have really followed their interests um, and followed what they're good at and what they find has meaning and ways they can help people. And those sort of threads that run through a lot of second careers, I think it's really amazing how people come to those sort of decisions about what is important to them and how they can make that real in terms of make it work for them as careers and as satisfying things to do. I think one of the things I'm thinking about at the moment is, I, d- I don't know if this was the same for other people, but you get, I went into a second career that I really didn't know much about. I just liked plants. And I'm finding out more and more about what's possible within that career now. And I'm thinking a lot about re, what's the word, assessing, that kind of thing, looking at what I'm doing, picking out the things now that I really like to do and, and making sure that I'm following those and not just going for the natural track or the most well-trodden route that isn't the career that I'm doing or that kind of thing. I remember one of the things that I said in the original interview was, I think you said to me, what advice do you have, whatever. And that I think I sort of bit on the spot and I keep repeating it to myself <laughs> now. But one of the things is just because you can doesn't mean you should. And Melissa, you were talking about you did a job for two decades because you could, because you could play the game. And I feel that's what happens a lot. If you're really good at admin, you'll get put in that pigeonhole. If you're really good at waitressing, you'll you'll end up thinking, this is what I do or whatever. And I think I'm really trying to be really aware of that right now and just thinking, what facets of this career can I tease out and follow and make my main thing and specialise in? So I don't know if, if other people have that kind of aspects of once they had settled into their second, third, fourth phase, whatever, that they they started learning about actually what within that would they like to do. And mm-hmm. the career isn't quite what you thought perhaps, or there's different things in it. There's even more opportunity than you thought about. Does anyone else have that feeling about what they found themselves doing? I do every time I do anything. Mm-hmm. And, it, and again, the older I get, the faster it comes. So whatever I'm working on, I'm, I'm in the middle of it and I'm loving it, but I'm also seeing these other things. And that's where the book idea has come from. And I've actually started taking notes for this book. And it relates to storytelling, another way of bringing a story forward. I, I think that is something that needs to be nurtured in every human. And we need to nurture the people around us to allow them to do that and not pigeonhole people and say, oh, you went to school to be a doctor, so you'll always have to be a doctor. Maybe not. Maybe not. And I think that we miss opportunities if we think that way and if we do create these boxes for ourselves. But you bring up a good point and you're doing the right thing to say, oh, what about this that I'm doing do I love? And what other things are there that may relate to it that I could grow into? Because I think that's what we're supposed to do as humans. I think we're supposed to evolve to, or allow ourselves to evolve. I think we don't allow ourselves all the time to make those jumps. So and, I'm finding and- those through your conversation and all these other conversations we've had today. It, it just bolsters me and gives me energy to think about what else is there? What else is there? For all of us. Adapting is how we survive, isn't it? Yeah. Being open to that. Jennifer, you look like you have something 
burning. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with everything that you have both said. We get pigeonholed and the whole notion that we are the same person from the beginning to the end of our lives is just quite ludicrous. But that is the expectation that's handed to us in society. And I think as we grow and evolve, and especially like in my case, I just learn more about myself usually from trying Mm -hmm. things and starting down one path and discovering, okay, maybe that's not quite it. Maybe it's this thing. And through the life of my business, it has shifted and evolved in so many ways. And that's as I discover the parts of myself. Because like I said, I did everything that everybody told me I should do for the better part of 50 years. And now I feel like I'm on this, this path where I'm like, oh, Everything is an opportunity. Everything is a possibility. And sometimes I actually find it a little bit overwhelming because I'm like, okay, which path do I go down first? (laughs) But just like Melissa was just saying, just allowing ourselves to evolve and following the passion, following like what I call the crumbs of joy. I have actually made a commitment to myself that I am only going to do the things that really light me up. There's no more shoulds. There's no more out of obligation or duty that I'm going to follow. That's where I'm going to put my energy. And the beautiful part about that is that as you put your energy into the things that bring you joy, it brings you more joy. And it's like this giant snowball that just keeps rolling forward. And I love, and to your point, I love everything, you know, that everybody here is doing in terms of following their passion, because I think that's how we change the world. And especially when I talk about being at the intersection of ageism and sexism, like how we change what it means to be in our second chapter in our 50s, 60s, 70s, or whatever it might be, is through demonstrating following our passion and our joy. Because the world wants us to believe that we're less relevant, we're less valuable, not as capable as we once were. And in fact, it's completely the opposite to that. And the more that we live in our own joy, the more that we access our own internal power, That's the demonstration to the world about how things should change and should be. Yeah, I I agree with that because I've been having this thoughts. These thoughts when I first when I was fifty, people weren't really having conversations about midlife, and there was no and that which is why I created the new fifty basically because there was nowhere the the conversations weren't being had, and now ten years ten years down the road. Obviously, more and more people have come up and this conversation about ageism and the way that older people are perceived comes up more and more. And I was talking to my sister, who is just over 50, and she was saying that she was, she's looking for another job and she was talking about ageism in the workplace, in recruitment. And I thought, but who is it that's being ageist? And it was us. We were the ones that... Perpetrate. We were the perpetrators, and now that we've got there, we don't like it. <laughs> and <laughs> we don't like it. So and so we are now trying to. We're, we're trying to. I don't know. We're try, we're preaching. Or I don't know what it is that we're trying to do, but we keep saying that this thing is happening when actually we're living that it's not. If, and the more we say it, the more people believe it. And I think the fact that we're all here is that we've trodden a path and made the way clearer for people coming behind us. And we just have to, there's no role model for us move to understand what it means to be 50, 60, 70. And we have to create that. And part of that is letting go of that narrative that something is happening to us. You know what I mean? We have more agency. 
And there's a power that we have that we don't allow ourselves as a collective. I'm not saying individually, but as a collective that we don't allow ourselves. And I think that people like us, it, it behooves us. I don't know what that word is horrible. But I love that word. It's, it's, it behooves us to step into that power and do like Jane was saying, that you go into something, but it doesn't have to be the be all and end all. We're exploring and there's nothing wrong with the rest of our lives being an exploration. And that exploration does just lead us to magnificence. Just yeah, like I to mean, say that I feel far more, co- far more competent now at 52 because I now know how to hide the bodies. Probably. But also the other thing is that it's almost as it should be because we don't know ourselves. Yeah. The reason that we're able to do it is because we get to a point where we know ourselves and we, there's a confidence that we have in ourselves. Yes. yes. When I talk to people over 40, when they hit their 40s, you say, what's, the, what's different for you? I don't care other people think. But actually, when you dig deeper, they do care, but they yeah. realize, they get yeah. to their 40s and realize, I shouldn't care about yes. this thing. You know. yeah. And there's this so, fear as well, isn't there, when you change your... When you change your career, what people will think or how you'll do, or it's something I've never done before and can I do it? And the absolutely beautiful thing about what I do, going back to the question about what I've taken from my previous corporate life, in the corporate life, I would do a lot of project-based stuff. Okay, we're going to open a substitute in Germany. Yeah, great. Yep, yep. Hannah, off you go. Okay. All right. Don't know how to do that, but I'll find people. I'll find people who know. And I get to apply that methodology in my research case in point for one of the, one of the books for next year. I phoned a funeral home, just Googled one in upstate New York, just Googled them and picked one and phoned them up. And this wonderful gentleman picked up the phone and I said, hi, I'm a crime author. My name's Hannah Mary McKinnon. This is my website, honest. And I have a question. When it's a bit of a weird one, but where might I hide a spare body? In a graveyard. Brian won one. It was a brilliant conversation. But Kingdom, yeah, funny. But they either believe me or they don't. They might think I'm some nut job, which is, actually does have a spare body. So it, it's just brilliant to be able to do stuff like that and, and to not, to not be afraid to just yeah. give it a go. And that's, is that something I would have done in my twenties? Probably because I set up a German subsidiary in my twenties and didn't know how to do it find people who knew. So I guess that's something I carried over, but it's just, it's wonderful to have this creativity to always, I wonder if it's the same for you, Jane, you're, you're, it's the same, but different. You create a garden, but it's different to the one or ones you've done before. And with the books, it's the same. I'm writing a book, a book is a book, but it's not because it's whatever is between the pages is different or a movie. It's a different or a play. It's just, or a podcast to all of us make different things or retreats for Louise. It's it's just so wonderful to have maybe the same frame, but you can paint a different picture within it that yeah. that varies each time, which I find so extraordinarily interesting and fascinating. And I'm curious if you have the same reaction, actually. I think what everyone brings is their approach, their way of thinking and their experience. And also when you are like a creative, you want to make something different all the time because that's what interests you is exploring something new. So yeah, I think that you do make something different each time. It's just the activity and the approach and the the realm 
of what your creative practice is, what works for you. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah I, def- I definitely feel like that. But yeah, it's just so interesting hearing about particularly the way that second careers are so successful. You know what I mean? The way people can move into something that really works for them and in the real world. I think that's what's really fascinating. And I think you do carry things over from your previous work. You, that there's so many crossovers and you can just apply so much of it. I've always found that quite useful. Although sometimes I do get dragged into doing what I used to do and I just think, no, I'm not taking my eye off the ball. I'm not going to organize that for you. That kind of thing. You have to be quite strict. You can see it coming. It's too familiar. And you think, mm, how do I know how to do this? <laughs> that that happens quite a lot too. And it's really nice to be like, I'm not the person who does that now. That's a lovely feeling. Yeah. And I think what all of us are demonstrating is possibility, which when I was in my midlife breakdown, let's call it that, crisis, I needed to see possibility because to the point that Taiwu was making, I couldn't see possibility. Like I was at the, I honestly believed, okay, like I'm 50. This is the beginning of the end for me. There's nothing else, which it took me a while to get over that. But I really needed to see possibility. I needed to see people who are switching careers and people who are having second and third careers, which is the whole reason why I started the podcast. And what's interesting is a little while ago, I did an interview with my daughter who is in her late 20s. On her view, having watched kind of me (laughs) navigating this new path and like how that has changed her perspective on her own life. And, you know, what she said to me was, I cannot wait for my my next chapter. She said, she's still figuring out her first one, but she's like, I cannot wait because there's so much possibility that I can keep just going and reinventing myself as I go. Like that just made me like, first of all, it made me tear up because she's my daughter. But anyway, and but. What was really apparent to me was that when I was in my 20s, I didn't even think there was a next chapter. Nobody was talking about it. It was you did your job, you rode off into the retirement sunset, and then it was to use a movie analogy. It was like the screen fades. There's some kind of retirement bliss in there somewhere and the credits start to roll. But you don't actually give thought to what that thing is. What's my passion? What do I want to do? What I want my next chapter to mean? None of that entered into my thought process at all. And I don't know if other people had the kind of the same experience. That just made me think of something, actually. My parents, my dad was in was an architect. He did different things, but he was primarily an architect and worked in the in construction, you know, designing houses and whatnot. And my mom worked for a souvenir shop, ran a souvenir shop for the longest time. And my dad ended up at the American Embassy in Bern in Switzerland for a long time. And my mum wouldn't let him retire because he'd started up this translation business from translating text from German to English. And my mum wouldn't let him retire because the translation business wasn't quite solid. So she then took it over. And he then retired early, uh, retired, Mm -hmm. ha ha, stopped working at the embassy at 63, I think, or 64 maybe. And they then ran this translation company well into their 70s until my mum had a really terrible accident. And they had to stop. So I guess I did have that, that role model of a second career. And until you said that, Joe, I never really thought of that, but I'm sure that played into it. I'm sure, I'm sure it did. I mean, yeah, that's interesting. I had, this, I had a similar with my mum. I didn't think of it as like you. I didn't think of it at the time, but my mum was a nurse 
and she retired at 60. And, but she had also, she lived part of the time she lived here because all her children lived here, but the rest of the time she lived in Nigeria. And so she would sometimes come back here and do a bit of agency work and then buy some things. And she'd have a little, she had a little shop in Nigeria. And then she ended up selling the flat she had here. And she went back to Nigeria and set up at the first, one of the first internet cafes. She was like, as in her late 60s, was she 70 at that time? She'd set up one of the first internet cafes and she was very entrepreneurial. But my mum was a woman at a, a time where women couldn't really be entrepreneurial. In the, she couldn't even get a mortgage on her own without my dad's permission. And so... She, she, I think that she would have loved this time. She would have really thrived in this time. But she was working, she died at 74, which seemed old at the time, but actually was quite young. It's quite young now when you think about it. And so we never actually got the chance to have that conversation because I was, I think when she died, I was 44. So I wasn't even thinking about next chapter. So the fact that your daughter is thinking about the next chapter is amazing because yeah. at 44, yes. I wasn't even thinking anything about And so I didn't ask any of the questions. Exactly. I asked right? the questions about menopause. I didn't ask about anything. And then she was gone and it was like, and then I found myself in it. And, and that's something we haven't even talked about the physical aspects of yeah. this age that we it's find ourselves and the impacts mm-hmm. of all of that as well. Never mind menopause. What about perimenopause? No, well, you know, that was <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and that, I it guess that's what I meant. Yeah, that's just, a whole other show. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's go yeah, can everyone please come back and just have that conversation? <laughs> you know what? Growing up in my in the fifties, my mom was a stay at home mother of five kids, and she never had that experience of working outside the home. And I, so that was my role model, but. I knew very early on that's not what I wanted to do. As a matter of fact, I saw all the red flags when I was very young that I didn't want to have five kids, that I didn't want to stay (laughs) home and bake cookies and and just be this mother with an apron on. And my mom is now 97 and she is currently in a nursing home. Just this year, she fell. And so now she's going downhill, but she was sharp as attack until then. But we never had the conversation until last week when I visited her on Cape Cod in this nursing home. And she, her memory is, her short term is terrible. Her long term is pretty good. And she was resting and I was sitting with her and she all of a sudden blurted out, I never got to do what I wanted to do. I, I was always told when to put on my shoes, when to leave, what we're going to be doing. I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to do any of this. And then she looked over at me and I was in shock and she looked over at me and she said, but you, of all the five kids, you did whatever you wanted and you drove me crazy. You just did all these different things all the time. And she said, frankly, I can't really relate to you because I don't even understand what all the things that you've done. But she said, she looked at me really close and she said, good for you. Keep doing it. And every woman should do what you did. So that was just last week. And that's the first real conversation I've had with my mother outside of the realm of our family business or whatever. So it's, it really was a message to me. And it also 
it makes me very sad to know that she didn't get to do what she wanted to do, but that she, now I see that she bit her tongue a thousand times with me when I was out doing whatever it was, all the mistakes that I made that she watched from afar, and I'm sure drove her crazy. She knew that I needed to go and do my own thing. But I bet, I bet she, we all need to do it. Yeah, I bet she was happy that you got to do it. Yeah, I I think, but I didn't know that until last week. Isn't that funny? Such an important thing to have between you. Yeah, amazing. So it was an interesting meeting. The other thing I'm thinking about, about that generational thing, is that there's an age range with us, like second careers can happen. We're talking about after 35, it can happen anytime after that. And I'm just thinking, or before, about we're the only people who have been this age at this time. It's different doing what you're doing at any point in history. And this is a, is a, is a real moment as much as any other time is. So it's almost hard to compare to what the generation before did and many before that because they were dealing with different things. So it's a very unique thing. It, each generation deals with circumstances mm. and politics and the entire climate. It's like we're just doing what we're doing and muddling through as everyone does all the time. I find it quite hard to make succinct, what's the word, kind of comment on the shape of things and why and all this sort of thing, because we're the only people who've done this right now. And I think that the time you're in really affects what you do and how you yeah. do it. Based on what you just said, Jane, and a couple other comments that have been made, that one thing that's really interesting is a lot of times for the podcast, I have a lot of people approach me who are coaches who want to come on the podcast. Mm-hmm. And I have a very, I don't want to say a rigid rule. I'm very strict about how many coaches I have on, though I recognize as I'm looking around at all of you, we all are coaching in some way. And I think that's something that maybe because we are doing this at this time, And because so much of what we're doing, whether it's a life change or a career change, has revolved around a passion, we want to share it with others or help mentor others. Jane, I know you're very vocal on your Instagram about second careers and talking about that being possible and having people that you're now mentoring about garden design or Jennifer and Taiwa both have over 50 mentoring. Louise has the retreats and the yoga. I say I don't want a lot of coaches. I'm a triathlon coach. Plus, I want to tell these stories, which in my own way is also bolstering and maybe coaching. And I'm thinking of first chapter fun. I mean, there's so many different ways that people, now that we, I think because we are past a certain age, we have a certain life experience that we want to bolster other people and especially other women to do these things as well. So it's really amazing. Oh, Martina, I didn't even say about your students. Like just looking around, I say, oh, I don't always want to have life coaches on, but we're all coaching different aspects of life to different people. And I think that's such a brilliant thing. So it's not really a question. It's just thanking you all for coaching me, (laughs) inspiring me. And the work that you're doing with other people, because I think that's something that it, with age comes wisdom. No, I think that's, I think with age does come wisdom. And to Jane's point of never in, in, never is this time or never the age that we are, has there been someone in time? Because it's just life just is so fast, isn't it? Life changes so dramatically. And if you don't move 
you know, I was thinking of you all talking about your mum's there. And my mum was a school teacher before she had any of her three children. And as soon as she went back to work, whilst I was, before I even went back to school myself, which was unusual in those days, because I was born in the 60s. And even though she retired when she was 66 from actively teaching in a school, she carried on teaching students at home until she passed in her early 80s. But that was her passion. And I think, again, to Jane's point of we've all, in our own way, made a success of what we're doing. I think it is because we've just been brave enough to just say, I'm following my passion. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know. Most of us have probably all given up big salaries to follow our passion. How do you know it's going to work? You don't. But it's almost when you've got that positive attitude towards something, it makes it even more likely that it's going to happen. When you put something out into the universe, perhaps it's more likely than it's going to happen. And I think there's the woo-woo. There's There's the the (laughs) woo-woo. But because because we're all doing something that we love, it really enables and shines out. And I've seen it from all of you in the way that you're talking and sharing about what you do. When you're that passionate, then success will follow. And the people that come into your lives because of what you're sharing are going to feel that too. Just to wrap it up, the one thing I will say also is practicing what I'm preaching. I haven't said it on the podcast yet, but I've finally made the actual decision. I've confirmed that I'm starting an MA at the end of September. Mm-hmm. I am taking my storytelling a little bit further and doing my, my oh, filmmaking nice. MA. So I will, <laughs> Melissa will chat. <laughs> yes. But I'm continuing producing like I'm doing for theater, taking it to the next level and mm-hmm. actually learning a bit so, about it because I've been where everybody's talking about success and I'm just flailing along trying to make it work. So next thing is an MA for me. So helping to tie, as mm-hmm. Taiwo was talking about, tying some of those threads mm-hmm. together as mm-hmm. my next part D of that chapter. So <laughs> congratulations. Good luck. I, yeah. I just am really Love excited it. about it. So I wanted to share. That's that that joy. That's great. Obviously, listen to each other's episodes because yeah. everybody is so yeah. fascinating. And if you yeah. haven't heard everyone's stories, like Martina was saying, you can have, even if all the same stories, I could get all of you that you went from this to this. And they'd be the same careers, let's say, but your life stories are so different and how you've looked at them. And obviously you are all are very different. So it's been amazing to get to know you a little bit through the podcast and to have you back has been such an honor. Thank you. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you for having us. It's a great conversation. Yeah. Yeah. And there's plenty more. So maybe episode 200, all y'all come back and we'll chat again. (laughs) Awesome. See what we're up to then. It's yeah. been lovely meeting exactly. you. Yeah, yeah you yes, it's tremendous. To meet everybody. Yeah. Amazing. Continue the conversation and maybe next thing I know, I'll hear about how you've all worked together on something. You never know. There'll be a movie in a garden <laughs> that, that someone wrote that someone... <laughs> It's about a retreat. And there'll be a murder. <laughs> There's going to be a murder. No, definitely. It's been a murder. I will get in Macbeth with the witches (laughs) thank you all so much take care and I cannot wait to see what you do next thanks for listening if you enjoyed the episode tell a friend follow us on Instagram and sign up for the second chapter newsletter the second chapter is brought to you by Slackline Productions a production company dedicated to redressing the balance of women's stories being told and who's telling them with a specific focus on women 35 plus You can find us at thesecondchapterpodcast.com 
and slacklineproductions.co.uk. Thanks again.